Hello and welcome to Renewing Your Mind, a web-based ministry of South Bay Community Church located in Fremont, California. It is our prayer that today's broadcast will be a blessing to you. Let us prepare our hearts to hear the word of the Lord. I realize, as the drama pointed out to us just now, that Father's Day can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. We are coming to this day with all kinds of history. Uh, Some of us are here and we are uh, still in relationship with our Father and grateful for all that he poured into us. Some of us in here are grieving uh, our Father that has gone on to heaven. Some of us aren't really sure how to feel because we never really had that relationship with our father. And it's always one of those days that that brings up maybe more questions than answers. And some of us had difficult relationships with our fathers, just estranged or, or not very good communication or maybe even some level of abuse. And so it's a challenging day for many people and a challenging day to speak to all the different Uh, situations that we have as the church family, but A, we honor each person who in their heart desires to honor their father no matter what your situation was. That's still a godly and good thing to do, to give honor to those who gave us partially uh, responsible for giving us the gift of life. And so I wanted to think, or I wanted to talk about how we look at this day maybe in a slightly different way than we normally have. Uh, as, as you look around uh, at the various sermons, I always kind of check out and see what people are talking about, especially around holidays. And, and, and I found a trend that's, that's easy to fall into, I think. I, I think it's easy to approach Father's Day with a bit of what I call gap analysis, that we have the father that we wish we had. We have this ideal image of our father in heaven. And then we got the dad that we actually got. Amen. And we can't help but thinking about the gaps between what we felt like we needed, much less what we get from our heavenly father and the fallen vessel who probably did the best that they could to be our father. And so it's easy to get into that and think about the things that were missing and the things that were lacking. But I want to encourage us not to do that today. I want to encourage us to honor the effort for the father that we had. I want to encourage us to think back on those efforts as someone doing the best they had with what they knew to do with. And to honor the integrity of their intention, even if the execution wasn't what we hoped it would be. I thought about talking about this Father's Day in terms of the design that God had for fathers and how we can continue 
to live into that, regardless of the mistakes we've made in the past, regardless of our current relationships, we can continue to strive to be the kind of father that God desired. And so the book of Proverbs to me is one of the best sources of wisdom. It is literally a father writing a letter to his son to try to get him to understand how to be the best man and father and husband and son that he could be. And so we, we get very clear instructions. In it, and I really just want to unpack a little bit of what I think is going to be revealed in the, in the entire book. But he, he gives such a great preview of what he's trying to do. And so, men, I would encourage you to listen to say, where can I continue on my journey of manhood? Which one of these principles could I, could I sow more deeply into my own life, into my own thinking, that I may continue to grow into the fullness of the man God has had for me, called me to be? And for the ladies, I would encourage you to look for the sparks of light, the rays of hope, where your husband or father or son is demonstrating these principles that you may know how to fan them to be the man that God designed them to be. So I just want to take a few moments and and walk through four of these principles that that I called the manhood instinct. I would argue that God has wired us to do this. God has created us to live into these principles. And even when we don't do it fully, our desire is still to be the kind of man that God intended us to be. So I, I want to I point out a few of the things that I think are really clear in the scripture. First of all, I want you to know what he's trying to do. Why is he writing this book? What is the intent, the contribution that man, that God gave to man to be in this world and to be in our families? Look at, look at what he says. He says, this, the purpose of this writing is for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. That means when somebody gives you an insight, I've got to comprehend it enough to be able to put it into practice, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior. Men, godly men, behave prudently, wisely. In, in, in a way that glorifies and represents God. And finally, it says, they do what is right and just and fair. That is, I think, a great way to model our lives. There are so many decisions we have to make, so many issues that we wrestle with. But if my focus is I am to be a man who is seeking wisdom, who's hearing the insights from God, who is receiving instructions and putting them into habit, and I'm living my life in order to be a just, fair, and righteous man, I think that will take care of 99% of the Bible that we worry about. If you don't have any other scriptures memorized, brothers, I think this is a good one to get under our belts because it frames how I interact and react to the situations that come at me each day. So that's what he was trying to do. The second part I want to point out is who is he talking to? Who is he directing these instructions to? It goes on in the second part of this. It says, for giving prudence to those who are simple. He's talking to simple people. Who are the simple people? Us. See, simple people are those who really don't get what's really going on. 
who, who don't really see the full picture clearly. The book of Corinthians puts it this way. Now I see in part like I'm looking through a dirty mirror. So even when I'm looking at life, when I'm looking at my relationships, when I'm looking at my situations, I really don't see it as clearly as God would see it, which means I'm responding off of imperfect knowledge, which means to someone who has better vision, they would see that I am acting rather simply in my behavior. And that's the problem that we can kind of get into, right? Because we can stand outside of somebody else's situation and know all the things that they should be doing and wonder why they don't make good decisions. But I am firmly committed that people make the best decisions that they possibly can, given their context. I think very few people are walking around making bad decisions on purpose. Now, it could be that I don't have enough information to make a good decision. It could be that I am so scarred by my past hurts and my pains and my experiences that I've gotten myself in a a way of being and in a way of forming and a way of reacting that I can't understand that this decision is going to put me back in that same self-destructive cycle. And so I'm trying to protect myself from new pain based on my last pain and it's causing me to make bad decisions. But from where I'm sitting, that's the best thing I can do right now. It could be that maybe they are hindered and they've got blind spots and and other people standing on the outside can see the blind spot so clearly. Literally like driving a car. You ever tried to change a lane and you almost hit a car because you didn't see it there? We got blind spots. And somebody who's two cars back be like, well, that was dumb. I can see that car there, but we don't always see the full picture of the circumstances that we're in. And so it causes us to act like simple-minded folks. And certainly compared to the glory and majesty and and awesomeness of God, we are all very simple-minded folks. The second thing he says is not only am I talking to the simple people, but I'm talking to the young people who need to get some knowledge and some discretion. Amen. I heard one amen in there. And this is a key role for the fathers. And I think the two are often related, right? Because we've got, it's it's, it's scientifically proven, right? That as we are young, our minds are still developing. They're still going through all kinds of changes, chemical reactions, nuclear reactions going off in here. We got all kinds of stuff. We are literally out of our mind for a season of our development, And so the role of fathers, the role of men is to help impart knowledge and discretion to those who aren't yet right-minded enough to understand reality on their own. And so fathers will come in, men will come in and try to respond to this by let me help setting boundaries. You know, sometimes the father is known as as the rule maker, the boundary setter. And, and he's living into this calling because there is information that the young person doesn't quite have or understand in order to make the right decision. So on your behalf, I'm going to set some boundaries to help you be guided in the right direction. And, and, and that can cause tension between the, 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 the man and the child, even between the husband and the wife. But I want to say, even when it doesn't, isn't done perfectly, I want us to see that that is the role and purpose that that man is trying to live into. He's instinctually wired 
to help those who don't understand the consequences of their action bump into them. We started this series talking about the unique gift of women and all the ways that they represent the glories of God. And I'm saying that setting boundaries and making consequences real is a gift that God has given to men to help grow up the simple and young people that they are put in charge of. Nah, wasn't too much on that one, huh? It's a gift. It is a gift from God. It is his purpose. It is his instinctual design to do that. And so when we see this happening, we can get frustrated. We can be irritated. We can be annoyed. But I want us to see that he is living into the very way that God has made him to be the man that he's been called to be. The next one. He's got the simple, he's got the young. Then he kind of throws us a little bit of a curveball here. He ends up saying, what about the discerning? He says that this book of instruction is written that the wise may listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. Now, I want to unpack that a little bit. First of all, there's two things that are very important here. It says, let the wise listen to add to their learning. So that means one of the key traits of a wise person is the ability to listen. And we can often think of the wise person as the one who's talking, but really the wise person is the one who's listening that they may glean wisdom that is being imparted to them. I would ask you, who in your circle is your dispenser of wisdom in your life? I'm so grateful personally for Pastor Long that years after he could have been long gone off the scene, he is still the person I turn to when I'm at a a juncture, a decision point where I'm not sure which way is right and wrong. and, And I call and I say, hey, here's what's happening. Tell me what you think. And it is so sad that so few of us have that mentor, that source of wisdom that we pour into. But even if we happen to have one, I would ask, do we listen to him? one and listening to one is two different things and 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 I had to check myself because I would call and I would ask hey here's what's going on what do you think hmm don't like that answer maybe I should call somebody else I didn't really do that but I thought about it and so in my own life intentionally I have been making myself just recently there was decisions that had to be made and I I wasn't sure which way to go when I called I said let me call one of the gifts that God has given me for wisdom in my life and I called him and I said what do you think I should do and he told me what he thought and I didn't like it and I hung up the phone and I did what he said because what's the point of having wise counselors if you never do what they tell you to do what's the point And so I've been intentional about walking into this to listen and let my learning grow by receiving the wisdom that God has given me through other people. And so many of us, we can get caught in thinking that we've got so much experience and so much, so much, uh, we've been around that track before. We know the routine and we stop really being open to wisdom ever coming into us anymore. And at that point, we move from wise to foolish. And so part of what we need to do very early on is teach young people how to be listeners. And it's, it, 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 can be, it can be challenging. It says we're trying to add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. Now, h- how, how do I model this for my 
children. I want my children to receive wisdom. I want my children to take all the brilliant nuggets of knowledge that I have that I am so diligently imparting to them. And I want them to stop shutting it off and stop shutting me off and allow me to impart them with the rivers of wisdom flowing from my mouth. How could I possibly get them to do that? Perhaps I should model it for them by receiving the wisdom that comes from other people, including, uh uh-oh, here it goes, my spouse. Yeah, only women clapping on that one. I know, fellas, hated to do it. Hated to do it. But let me tell you the truth. This issue of discerning is really a spiritual gift. Discernment is a spiritual gift that God gives to certain people. Now, I happen to think that he tips it a little bit, and I think women have a larger distribution of the gift of discernment than men by and large. I'm just being honest. And, and there, is this, there is this opportunity that we have without leaving the house to allow discernment and wisdom from discernment to be poured into us that we may model what it looks like to receive wisdom and then impart it to those that we're trying to impart it to. But if I'm ignoring my wife and shutting off my wife and never allowing her to be the one who is dispensing wisdom, then what kind of example am I setting for the kids who are doing the same thing to me and I'm mad about it? So we have an opportunity not to just talk about it, but to model it. And and I want to unpack this a little bit further because here's something that we may not know. We're talking about wisdom and we're talking about the sources of wisdom. And not only do I think it's just experientially true, I think it's actually theologically true that there is an understanding of wisdom. If you look in the book of Proverbs, most of the time wisdom is spoken about, it's a female. It says she. In, in, in the Hebrew, it's dame wisdom. It's, it's, this, it's this female personification of wisdom, which I don't think is just an accident. It says, if you dig a little deeper, it says that wisdom was with God in the very beginning. Wisdom was part of creation. The wisdom of God saw before there was oceans and skies and birds and, and, and people, before any of that stuff came to being, wisdom was there with God helping to create this and, and enjoying the creativity of God participating in it. Now, we know from the New Testament that it says the word was with God and the word was with God in the beginning. And so there's this parallel connection between this female dynas, uh, um, aspect of, of wisdom and, and uh, the word itself. And that carries over even to the Holy Spirit, which is the source of discernment and wisdom for most of our lives. There's even aspects of female wisdom in the Trinity. And we got to sit right next to us, laying right next to us. And are we able to receive that wisdom that we may grow in our own? It's true in my own life, most of the time, especially for things that have happened in terms of my ministry calling, my wife knew about it about six months before I did. It just happened. And she would see it, she would know it, she would probably mention it, I didn't really hear it. And then six months, I said, oh, look what the Lord told me. She's like, <laughs> happens all the time. 
in our church, Pastor Tammy and I, as we are, you know, praying and, and seeking God and discerning and trying to see what should we teach? How do we bless this body? How do we help our congregation continue to grow and thrive and be the, the, the spiritual family that God called it to be? So we're looking at stuff, right? We spend a lot of time thinking about this and I'm, I'm a numbers guy. So if we're talking about something, I, I need some numbers. I need some data. I need to put in Excel. I need to get a table, make some graphs out of it, check it out for a little while, and then I'll understand what the truth is. She talks about it, she prays about it, and then she says, here's what happened. I said, that's cool. Let me go look at it. I run my numbers, I'm doing my graphs, I'm breaking it down. A couple months later, it goes by, I said, look, here's what's true. She said, I told you that two months ago. (laughs) I didn't have all those numbers, but I knew it. I could just discern it. Makes me mad, happens every time. But we, we sharpen each other. We, we, we hear better together than we would individually. And so this whole thing about wise, ga- wise people gathering wisdom means that it is just when I think I mentioned this last week, one of my favorite scriptures, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, as iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens another. So let me ask you, who in your crew sharpens you? Litmus test. If, if, if somebody looks at your crew and thinks all of your crew is stupid, you got a problem. Because it says wise people impart wisdom to other wise people. And we both become wiser as we are doing this in concert with each other. But stupid people are like a black hole. They just suck all the wisdom out of the room and just take it all away. And so if everybody in your crew, if no one in your crew is a person of wisdom and discernment, where are you getting yours from? How can you possibly be growing wiser if you don't, I, uh, if you don't specifically know who are the people who are sources of wisdom that God has placed in your life, that you are growing in stature and understanding and in insight and in depth because of their presence in your life? Last one. He talks about the simple, he talks about the young, he talks about the discerning, and the last one I want to bring up is um, the wise. And I kind of already talked about this a little bit, Um, but the reality is we want to be dispensers of wisdom, but we can only do that if we have actually received wisdom. Or else I'm just talking. And there's a huge difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is facts and figures. Knowledge is data points. And we don't live in, a, in an era where we have a lack of data. As a matter of fact, we got too much data. We, we got so much information. We are on information overload and opinions coming from every perspective. And people have their own agendas. And so we are getting all kinds of information. Wisdom is the ability to take information, add discernment, and get a clear direction of what is best. See, you've got foolish behavior, and then you've got good behavior, and you've got good behavior, and you've got best behavior. And God is calling us to get wisdom so that we may do what is best in a circumstance. People, people um, you know, from time to time will, will, will include me or ask me about decisions that they're making. 
and, and trying to figure out, you know, I'm not sure, should I do this or should I do that? Should I go left or should I go right? And, and, and my conviction has been that God is so good. God so amazingly gives us blessings that sometimes we have multiple options and they're both good, right? Should I take this job or should I take that job? Should I go to this house or should I live in this house? I think most of the time, it doesn't matter. They're both blessings from God because I don't think God is spending most of his time worrying about our, 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 um, what our address is or worrying about what company we're working for as he's working about what the character that we are shaping inside of us really is. Well, what, what are the things that we are doing that are making us more just and righteous and holy people? What are the things we're doing that are, that are adding to the kingdom and adding to the suffering and, 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 and meeting the needs of those that God has given us to be blessings to? I think that's where he really wants us to seek his decisions. And the other stuff I think is gravy on top. And so the, 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 the issue about wisdom means I have to be able to discern out of all the information, what are the things that are really the best things for me to do? And here's the whole punchline. It says in order to do that, in order to develop that skill, the beginning of that starts with the fear of God. What's the compass by which I process information? What, what's, what's, what's my list of priorities that helps me weave and navigate when competing issues come head to head. I was talking to a a, a brother recently, um, pretty much a pastor, and we were having a discussion and we happened to be talking about some of the issues that are coming up in the world today and how we as believers, as people of the kingdom, navigate these things in order to represent God well. And I happened to bring up the issue that I think he was a little upset about, that I think in American Christianity today, we have confused nationalism with biblical interpretation and patriotism with understanding the word of God. He didn't really like that. And so he was saying, you're, you're putting this framework up where these two things are at odds and, and that's not necessarily true. Are you telling me I can't be patriotic and a Christian at the same time? I said, no, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying at some point when those two things conflict, which one goes on top? Amen. At some point when, I, when I'm forced to make a decision that I, I, have to, I have to vote on a policy, I have to decide how I, I, I feel about tax money being spent in certain directions. At some point, those two things come into personal conflict and I have to decide where does my value system lie and if we are not grounding that basing that understanding that and moving forward from that of an understanding of who God is the nature and character of God that we are trying to reflect then we will turn our knowledge into just bad decisions but when I'm starting with the mind of God and the thought of God and the character of God and I'm allowing that to be more and more formed in me then I become a person who's able to discern the best path and live into it fully. And men, we need that so desperately in this time. We need men who are convicted and, 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 and committed to living into the fullness of godly manhood. We're almost at a crisis situation in the American church. 
I'm looking around today, it's actually a pretty good spread, but in most churches, there are many more females than males in the church today. You go to Bible studies and you go to small group discussions and and you go to these places where we are chewing on the word and wrestling with the word and reasoning together and it's the sisters that are holding it down. Well, how do we possibly grow into be the wise and discerning men that we're called to be if we don't ever spend no time with the word of God or with the people of God? When every football, baseball, soccer, putt-putt, go-kart, whatever we're watching, everything is more important than spending time in the Word of God. We're out of order with who God called us to be. When we are not in circles, having the ability to be challenged, to be sharpened, to be convicted, to be encouraged... We have to have those environments in order for us, in order for God to develop the full character of man that he designed us for. So I, I want to talk about a couple, of, a couple of examples where that can be really clearly lived in. This isn't just theological or, or, or theoretical, it's really practical. First one is, brothers, I want to really encourage you this Saturday, I think we're doing our fourth series that we are talking about our sister's keeper. It's been a great conversation the last couple of months. We're unpacking the word of God, starting right with Genesis, understanding what does it mean to be a man of God, understanding what it means to set an environment in the spiritual house where our sisters can be safe and affirmed and empowered because of the environment that the men of this house are setting. It's been a great conversation. We're just unpacking it and trying to figure out, well, what do we think and what's the difference and what's important and and how do I know what my role is and when am I stepping out of order with something I thought was just an innocent hug? Well, it wasn't that innocent, but it looked innocent. How do I know what the boundaries are? How do I become a man of God that is elevating the sisters and the daughters and the mothers that God has placed in my spiritual family? So I want to encourage you, uh, this Saturday we're going to continue that discussion. Uh, Brother Tony DeGruy is going to facilitate that. I think it's going to be an awesome way, brothers, for you to plug in. Second one, I want to talk about what we're going to do the next couple of months. I'm actually really excited about this. We are going to try to live into this, this process of becoming wise and discerning people. So how are we going to do it? We're going to move the sanctuary around starting in July. So we're going to have a portion in the middle where we're going to have kind of our our seating for times of worship and time of prayer. That's going to be normal. But on the outside of the uh, outside of the sanctuary, we're going to set up these tables that we can have some discussions. We're going to do the service different. And the idea is we're going to have a little bit of a, a word to get us grounded. And then we're going to go to the process of reasoning together. We're going to do what the Bible says. We're going to be a community that reasons the word of God together. Now, the goal of this isn't to come to an agreement on an issue. It's to learn how to do it. How, how do we sharpen each other? How do we take an issue and wrestle with it and speak God's truth and speak God's conviction in a way that doesn't slice and dice my brother or sister? Right, Because it says our words are supposed to be always seasoned with salt. So we're going to jump into the deep end of the pool. In July, we are going to deal with gender identity and human sexuality. The series is called Grace and Truth, 
revisited because we kind of talked about it once a while ago, but that was kind of me just talking out. Now we're going to break out and we're going to wrestle with this together. What does it mean to, to deal with people that are wrestling with their gender identity, to deal with, with uh, the end, uh, their, their human sexuality? How do we do that in a way that honors God, honors the kingdom, and still shows people the love and compassion of Jesus Christ? And brothers and sisters, if we can't do it in this room, we definitely can't do it in a broken and hurting world. So we're going to wrestle with that. And the goal is for us to come together and have these conversations, and we're all not going to agree. We're going to have differing opinions. We're going to have different ideas of what the correct boundaries are. And that's cool because in Christ there is unity. In Christ there is forgiveness of sins. And we will show that we belong to Christ by how we love one another even when we disagree. So that's July. Then in August, we're going to go phase two with another issue that's been all over the, 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 the headlines and all over social media. I think it's amazing what God is doing in this time with race. Everybody's talking about race. Everybody's talking about racial injustice. Everybody's talking about systems that are, that are uh, hurting and, 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 and going against the marginalized. You know, I couldn't help it yesterday. This is a quick side road. I went to Best Buy to buy something. And I was, I was walking out of Best Buy. And you know Best Buy, where you have uh, the guy at the door, and he, like, looks at your receipt? So I'm walking out, because I bought it over in the computer section. So I'm walking out, I got my cart, and I got my receipt sitting right on top. And I'm walking over there. And then there's a lady coming from this direction who had two kids, and she was coming this way, and I'm coming this way. And she happened to get to the door right in front of me and goes out, and the alarm goes off. Beep, 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 beep. And the guy looks at her and says, I don't worry about that. Go ahead. I go walking up to the cart, to the door. Let's just say that conversation didn't go the same way. And so I said, "Um, you didn't stop her. And he said, oh, I saw her checking out. Hmm. But the alarm went off. I saw her check out too. The alarm still went off. I wonder why you stopped me. Hmm. We'll talk about that anyway. So, as this issue is bubbling up, I think God is doing something in this moment. I think it's an awesome opportunity for the people of God to figure out how do we speak truth and redemption and reconciliation and the power of God into a situation where people are hurt and frustrated and angry or ignorant, oblivious, and have no idea what's going on. How do we have that conversation in a way that brings glory to God? Do we know how to do that inside the body with our brothers and sisters who maybe have a different background and certainly in a lost and broken, hurting world who have no concept of what it means to be unified under the headship of Jesus Christ? I'm excited about unpacking that. So that's going to be August. And so we're going to really wrestle with what it means. How do we gain wisdom and discernment? How, how, how do we have conversations where we are sharpening one another and building each other up, not tearing each other down? How do we do it in a way that allows God to be glorified and manifested in our relationships together? And I'm saying again, brothers, we need you for this conversation. God has given us a unique 
task and role in the kingdom. I'm so grateful for the women who step up in churches. I'm so grateful for the women who pray and who lead and who teach and who guide and who disciple. But we need the men of God to be powerfully active in the, in the, in the family of God that we can grow into the fullness of the world. And so I, I want to leave you with this. I, I want to say that we are, we are wired for it. I think we do it unconsciously. I mean, when you know, when you see somebody who's doing something, it could be anything that you have a little bit of expertise on. And you start giving them your advice on how they could be doing that better. Even if you don't really know what you're talking about. You feel like you have a little bit of wisdom that could be imparted into that situation when there's something that you see that is, that is harming people, that's, that's going to send them down a path. And we, we brothers, we get really animated about that. And we come in and we laying the hammer down and we setting the rules and we, we putting the boundaries. We're not going to put up with that here. And this is my house and all that other stuff. And, and you know, again, it may not come out right, but there is a glimpse, there is a, a reflection of a role that God has uniquely created us for. And so, sisters, again, I want you to see it. Be grateful for it. Thank God for it. Help us do it better, but don't shut it down. Don't don't cut it at the knees. Don't, Don't undermine it. That's what God designed us to do. To help those who need guidance, who need wisdom, who need boundaries. To see it and to help them set those things that would hurt them when they don't have the vision to see it for themselves. When you see us doing that, smile inside. At least on the inside. I know it's hard on the outside. Smile at least on the inside. And say, God, I see you working in his life. I would even say affirm it. Encourage it. Maybe try to redirect it later but encourage them for living into the godly man calling that he's given us. I want to give you this. Just to remind you, and it's, just, it's just what God said. I'm saying that men reflect God's divine wisdom. We are designed to help people gain wisdom and gain instruction in those areas that they are missing information. We are, we are designed to help people understand insights into their circumstances and realize that the consequences of their decision are real and harmful. And we're trying to give them our experience, our own knowledge, our own, our own mistakes that we've made, that they may do it better than we did. We're trying to help them receive instruction that they will be prudent, discerning, people. And finally, anytime you see a brother who is doing anything, making a sacrifice, putting someone else first, not taking advantage of another person because they are trying to live a just and fair and righteous life, that's us being the best that God has called us to be. Oh, fan it into flame. 
encourage it, be a Barnabas for that brother that he may continue to grow into the man of God he was designed to be. Amen? Amen. Bow with me. Father, I just, again, thank you for these minutes, South Bay Community Church. God, some of them have been here for a long time. They have been faithful in running this race. They have been serving and teaching and protecting and loving and caring for this body. And they are still walking with us in this journey of faith. God, we are literally standing on the stones that some of the men in this room have laid that we may have a place where we can worship you and give you praise. So God, we thank you for those men. We honor their sacrifice. We honor the reflection of you that we see in them. And for each of us, God, help us to be the men, the husbands, the sons, the fathers who reflect the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, he was the perfect image of you and we fall so short, but we hunger to be better men. We hunger to look and act and talk and think like you, God. Give us a double portion of your grace that those who are around us may be blessed by our presence in their lives. God, we want to be men like Joseph, where no matter where we go, in good situations and in challenging situations, God, your presence shines through us and all who are in community with us are blessed as your power works through us. God, revive us, renew us, strengthen us, and allow the power of the Holy Spirit to shine so brightly through us that all will see you and ask for the reason for the hope that we have. God, do it in us and we will give you all the praise and glory. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.